Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin. Each episode, I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present, or the one that so obsessed them that it caused them to fail their exams, or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a breakup. Games often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives, when we return to them, they become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, as I search for my perfect console. My guest today is a stand-up comedian, television presenter and Irish national treasure. He studied mathematics and theoretical physics at University College Dublin, where, during a debate, he cracked a joke, made the audience laugh and forever doomed himself to chasing that high. Since then, he has toured the world as a comic, as well as becoming a prolific television host. He has chaired Mock the Week, Have I Got News For You, Blockbusters, Robot Wars, Stargazing Live, and the video game-themed quiz show Go 8-Bit. A lifelong game player, he regularly hosts the video game BAFTAs and performs games-related routines in his stand-up. I'm very proud to be a gamer, although I understand it's embarrassing, he once said. If I'm at a dinner party and someone goes, how do you relax after a gig? It's less awkward if I say I masturbate to hardcore pornography. Welcome, Dara O'Brien. Yeah, that, that was, I, I'd even forgotten the end of that line. <laughs> it just, it is quite a slap in the face. I think that um, was part of a stand-up routine you did coming on for 15 years ago. Do you think attitudes have changed now? If you were to tell people that you, you play games, would they be quite so shocked? Well, it was, it was interesting watching that um, phenomena over the last while. I mean, I think if that was in the routine that became the video game routine, um, that was certainly felt like a um, 
an interesting moment because of, it, it was because we all shied away from doing routines about it because the specificity of it we didn't think it would translate across. Mm. But slowly, because I hosted a load of BAFTA Game Awards and they had me do press. And the press at the start of doing it was very, oh, isn't this a hobby that only teenage boys, that kind of thing. And you go, and I'd trot out, I'd trot out a, it's a larger creative industry than movies and books and whatever. I never quite had the full stats to back that up. And then one day we were doing a, a, an interview with Sky, Sky News, on the afternoon of it. And I think they probably captured my surprise because the host, I don't know who it was, says, and I was at the, the Video Game Awards. Um, do you know what I hate, he says? It's when you're online and you're playing and then he's going to get into a really specific situation. I went, yeah, that is irritating, isn't it? And like, it was like, but it wasn't like, oh, what's ooh, games? It was like, uh, oh, man, I know. Oh, I'm such a new. It was It was just like, oh, okay. So we, we were able to just talk about this perfectly normally. I, I, it is. I mean, it's, it's a while since you had you'd, one of the guests would come out on those awards and go, Oh, I love Pac-Man or something equally <laughs> jarring. The, uh, the people that go, what? Years ago, I told a story years ago about being at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, I know, sorry, the Edinburgh Television Festival. And there was a seminar or whatever about video games. There's somebody on from, um, t- is it Take Two who make the Lego games? Traveller's Tales. Traveller's Tales, TTS. Uh, Traveller's Tales. Somebody else talking about how we want to make a Doctor Who game and using IP across things, whatever. And there was a producer had this, in a, in a really weary kind of a, Oh, okay, I'll bite. <laughs> How much will it cost to make a game? And the guy in traffic sales went, okay, well, so there'll be 60 to 100 people for a year and a half. So that'll be about $100 million. So it's not like I just look of, uh, and I remember always jumping in going, yeah, you make their shows. They don't make your game. I think there's a, there's been a lack of understanding of just how massive both the effort to make them is and and, and their reach. It's, it's sort of all ch- changed so quickly. I remember when you did your video game routine and it, it goes onto YouTube. This must have been around 2010. And it just, f- it felt sort of momentous. It was the first time I think people who play games and love games had seen someone off the telly doing observational comedy about, um, you know, about, like you say, something as specific as Solid Snake from Metal Gear or something like that. Do you remember the first time you tried that routine? Were you a bit nervous that it was too specific? Yeah, I was. I was. I, I, I thought, um, I, I didn't know where to stick in the show and then realised it, 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 it very quickly became, uh, oh no, this is the closer. There's a game called Metal Gear Solid where you play a character called Snake. Yes. And when Snake dies, the camera pulls cinematically up from above him and the voice of the man Snake has been speaking to on his comms unit goes, Snake, Snake, Snake! (laughs) Every time he dies. When I play as Snake, he dies a lot. (laughs) But the man's sadness seems undiminished by the regularity with which he has to mourn Snake. You think once or twice he'd go, Ah, Snake. It was a very pleasing sense of, because actually, weirdly, you can't do movies that way because you can never presume everyone's seen the same bit mm, of a movie. Right. A- and even increasingly in the last while, the uh, because movies have become even more disparate and basic, and, and siloed away in different streaming services and stuff. So so people only get a vague sense of, of, of what certain films are. So so doing no, but doing a bit that was specifically to the finale bit of <laughs> a Japanese action game. The, uh, I mean, the trick, by the way, is there's, there's a lot of how much information can I give you for you to get this despite not knowing the the artifact on which it's based I mean in the same 
in the same show there was a routine of the film 2012 and absolutely people had not seen 2012 right uh, and the and the first night I did the tour was in Stoke a man in the front row midway through the 2012 routine raised his hand and I had to stop <laughs> and go yes and he said oh, I haven't seen this film and I said, well, look, just sit it out then. I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of like, don't want to do. I mean, was, there was nothing fundamental to it. But like, again, we very, very quickly realized, oh, no, this is, I've, I've hit something here. And mm. uh, and people, at the very least, have, seen, have looked over the shoulder of people if they haven't played themselves. And I've seen the motion of these characters. How did you pick the games that you were going to focus on? Did you try out different ones and see which which resonated? I, I didn't I don't remember marketing that if that that's uh, specifically um, and going, oh, well, uh, well, let's try, you know, Final Fantasy, but that's too obscure. No, I think, yeah. It had, okay, it had the basic premise, which I think was an easy explained one, and uh, which was it, it, it locks off access to further parts in a way that other media doesn't. That was the thesis of, of the routine. Let's get, let's get, if we get really lofty about this, that was the thesis of the routine. My proof uh, went to Guitar Hero, which I think enough people knew about, and was able to therefore mention bands. Right. And that was the stuff, stuff from that blow, like whatever. And then into, for some reason, had a jab at Nintendo in the middle of the routine. Because um, years since I've done the routine, so I forgot there's a bit, middle bit I can't remember. Because I had some jab about there's a unicorn that ships out rainbows. Yes. Aren't you a thing? <laughs> yeah, you're being rude about Wii games, I think. Wii games. There's Wii, that's it. Yeah, everything, oh, yeah, everything's so twee. And it's like it's really, and then you have to make the, the make the rainbows go everywhere. And then it was, and then it was into, into Metal Gear Solid. But the, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you'd never think Metal Gear Solid as now as being there. Call of Duty should have been it, really. Yeah, well, I didn't do Call of Duty, I have no idea. But I just think I just love the shouting, Nick, in an increasingly yeah. panicked voice. Call of Duty is almost too popular, too mainstream, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah. yeah. It's like doing a bit on Big Brother or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'd be hack to have done that, where it was right. where it was kind of cool to do, <laughs> do the other one. But I do remember once uh, we had a, um, on the, one of the BAFTAs, we had the voice actor. Um, from one of the Call of Duties who came out and, and came out to a polite round of applause mm. and then leaned into the mic and went, come with me if you want to live. And everyone went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the the premise of the podcast is I'm going to ask you to pick the five games you want to put on your fictional games machine and market to the world. Can you tell us about your first choice and what was going on in your life when you first encountered it? Well, I thought the only way to do this is chronologically, to force you onto a journey. It being a podcast, of course, quite relatively recently, I bought one of those machines that has everything on it. Right. Um, mm. And got one made. Weirdly, with the money from Go 8-Bit, I bought an arcade machine and then got them to push the... 8-bit representations of all of our contestants as oh, the nice. backing to the machine. Like, and then I got them to do family portraits in 8-bit. Uh, so I've got all myself and my wife and my three kids are in 8-bit. Oh, that's so nice. I know. I love that too, but they have never been that impressed by it. Like, and it's really, oh, you live in a, in a world of wonders. I had the thought of my own father bringing like, here is an 8-bit representation of you. In, in what I thought, when I opened the thing on, then I thought, oh, well, what's going to be the most evocative for me? And Packland was the one that I started playing first. I never liked Pac-Man. Or Miss Pac-Man never got the point of that at all. I still don't think it's a ridiculous game. Uh, I am, and uh, 
genuinely I've never I've never got the uh, as a thing and but Packland was the expansion into into a kind of a Nintendo-ish kind of side-scrolling uh, adventure game the uh, which had this piece of music which for 40 years has been in my head and will never leave the uh, and I could sing at the drop of a hat Packland tune and then which Packland runs through a little town which has all the ghosts in it and he has to get past the ghosts and then go to a forest in the village. It's a good little mm. game. It's very nice kind of thing. But the bit that totally blew my mind about it, and this is, this must be when I was 13, 14, maybe fit, maybe a little bit older. I watched somebody play it once um, and there's a bit where you run through a little village. There's uh, ghosts are floating above your head and you've got to avoid them when you jump. And there's also fire hydrants and you've got to avoid the fire hydrants. The fire hydrants can shoot out water that pushes you along possibly into a ghost. And then you get to the last fire hydrant. And then I remember watching somebody else play it, some older boy play it. And he got to the last fire hydrant and he turned around <laughs> and ran backwards, which was, you know, unusual in a, in a side scroller anyway. And then when he ran backwards, the fire hydrant moved, just moved slightly. And uh, when it moved like a full, like, unit across a little hat came out of it ding and landed on his head and now he could headbutt the ghosts and A that's an easter egg there's no reason for you to have got that that's really sweet that was a really nice thing to do and you kind of go I like an easter egg it's quite quite clever but also how the hell did he know and now I knew and I this is pre-internet and I but I and I had no sense of that was the moment where I thought, well, someday there will be a... I <laughs> went spiraling into a, mm. a vision where I went, someday computers will link all of us and we will know all this stuff. I went, how do we know? How did anyone get that information out right. that other than by some mad word of mouth? It was no, there's no Packland magazine. Uh, and I've always been amazed by how the word got out that you could do that and you could find that little thing. It, it, the word got out and got to, got to Bray County Wicklow in Ireland which is a long way from Tokyo. Different to express how <laughs> not Tokyo, the small Irish town I grew up in, is. Small seaside resort that had a couple of arcades the uh, grew up in. Small, out of season, permanently out of season seaside resort uh, that I grew up in. Like every day is like Sunday uh, type seaside resort. And how that hot information from a Japanese games developer got to me blew my mind as a day. Yes. It feels like you're sharing a secret with someone on the other side of the world, doesn't it? When yeah. you find a designer's trick like that or, or Easter egg, like you say, amazing. So you had these arcades in Bray where you where you grew up. When I was very young, arcades had this, I suppose, a slightly seedy <laughs> um, feel to them or certainly like that was the view of some adults in my life. Were you allowed to visit them? Did your parents like encourage all of that? Um, I would say they encouraged it. There was, firstly, there were, there were parts of the feature of the, of the town. There was Dawson's and the Star um, uh, Musings were the two big ones. Uh, Dawson's in the middle of the problem, Star down at the end. Uh, and there's another one as well that was never forgotten. There was two down the uh, one end and one in the middle. The star was the best and they had the best machines. I don't remember ever being told, don't go in there. <clears throat> That's where bad kids go who get tattoos and don't get a good leaving cert. I, I don't think I, I don't think it was ever warned like that, particularly in comparison to other things in the town, which were really right, rough. Right, yeah, yeah. The arcade was the sanctuary, the safe place. Oh, very much so. Very, it, it was where the the sharks and the jets could finally gather together around the ER kung fu machine and <laughs> trade Packland tips. It, it was, it was like the, the the owner would go, "This is sacred ground. No <laughs> blood can be spilled on this ground." And then we'd come in and we play Packland together. Do you remember when the when you got your first um, 
a video game machine in your in your actual house, so you didn't have to go out. Yes, I do. Uh, and I also remember meeting my father as he walked back with us because uh, he, yeah, which is because uh, in August we were in England in holidays. He'd gone to an Argos. Uh, to get an Atari for as a Christmas present, and I remember bumping into him because I'd run out to see him, or, they, or he didn't know he was out, and he was carrying this big box, and he was like, "Oh, <laughs> you ruined the surprise!" But yet, still made his wait five months to give us the Atari, even though I knew what it was. I had to wait until twenty fifth of December to get the Atari and go, "Oh wow, look what a fantastic, what a, what a surprise yeah, this thank is!" Thank you, Santa. Yes, and I could have been playing this for the last five months, and it was a proper. It was a Trace 600 with um, wood sidings, which is amazing design choice that we're going to make this look like a Studebaker or something like that. It's going to have <laughs> like fake pine on the edges of it. We built then for Go 8-Bit, the short-lived but uh, fondly remembered video game show I did. We built as a prop an eight-foot-tall version of the Atari joystick. And I have no idea where that is. It's somewhere in existence. There is an eight-foot-tall. There's like also a 10-foot-wide Nintendo uh, SNES controller but somewhere and I there's nowhere in the house that would that it wouldn't really stand out like that giant penny in Batman's lair <laughs> or the uh, or the there's a t- there's an Olmec head in in the Simpsons basement that's never explained yeah you need that in your garden a water feature or something yeah, or ju- but just there that just like with something yeah. with stuff draped on and go is that, I'm sorry is that they for tall original Atari uh, <laughs> yes never speak of it again well let's uh, let's come to your your second choice for that your perfect console Yes, jumping past the VIC-20, then went to the cavernous memory uh, of the Commodore 64. Genuine classic games. The, uh, so the one I've chosen for that is Impossible Mission. Another visitor. Stay a while. Stay forever. You know the, the, the way that if you buy uh, emulators, you're essentially trying to get that Proustian rush, that sense of being 14 again or or 19 or 70, whatever age it was you played, you want just for a second to taste life afresh again. And I tried to do that a lot with both Impossible Mission and Boulder Dash, which were the two kind of iconic games uh, of my generation and, and that like the, uh, and I've played many terrible versions, particularly of Boulder Dash. Diamond Run, uh, Rock Quest. Oh, you mean like rip, rip-offs? Rip-off, very, uh, very fun to find. And then eventually found one that was on that Commodore 64 emulator and you, could, and you can plug a proper joystick into it and played it recently and sank yes. into a brass off. Oh, this was... Well, this is my youth. <laughs> That's it. There's, there's the mouthfeel of the of the first Ratatouille I ate uh, that my mother gave me. That that that's what the, the hope is. But they're both great games. And Possible Mission to me slightly shaded it because I had to map it. It was quite a clever thing. You'd load it, and the first time you played it was always the same. And then they'd scatter and, and change the room. But then you could play it, map the room out, try to defeat it, try to get the puzzle pieces to add together to make Swordfish, which is the code the password. To get it. Yes, but you did. But unfortunately, what is the reference with Swordfish? Because then that turned up in. Oh gosh, I'm not sure. Uh, Swordfish is the word you had to get an impossible mission, and then in that the film, which should be the that heist movie with John Travolta, in which Halle Berry went topless. That that film where Hugh Jackman goes undercover, or he's a hacker. And am I missing another? Am I missing reference? Or is that a quiet impossible mission joke? It was about hacking, and it was about all that you know stuff breaking into, and you had to need a code and whatever. But un- unless there's some somebody could tell there's a, there's a richer kind of well, actually, Swordfish was even a reference in Impossible Mission. But Swordfish is the word you had to get, and it had speech. Uh, the the game, uh, which I still remember because you turned it on and. Elvin, I think, was the bad guy who was a scientist who was, you know, had plans to destroy the world, uh, would go, another visitor, stay a while, 
stay forever, which means that he used to pipe that into his into his corridor, into his layers, he had a PA system that he would say that through. And then you'd run through it. And the animation was mind-blowing. It was a smooth, it remains among the best animation ever. A smooth little running. That for some reason you were running on sand. The Foley work was insane because you ran, it used to go as on each footstep, which was the Foley of a sand, <clears throat> which makes no sense at all. You're in his lair. And it's unlikely that he said, I have robots, I have floating robots. What they need is a sand base <laughs> on which to operate. Not smooth, t- polished tile, which is obviously what you'd make. Yes, right. But they they went, they chose sand. Maybe they all go back from the beach. They just yeah, had, they just had lunch a, there or something. Yeah, and so slowly they'd slowly they'd walk sand into the place. That's what they'd done over time. Sand had just been brushed into the place because it was just <laughs> it was just off the beach because that's what you like. Cause it's on an island, of course. It's on an island. There somewhere. we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They dropped them into an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Elvis kept walking sand in and going, "Oh, I." Re-. But it had robots that tidied up. There were robots among the robots. There were a number of robots. There were really angry robots that fired lasers. Okay, straight action and fired lasers. And then there was robots who just buzzed around slowly. And it seemed to be robots who just tidied up. But the graphics of it was lovely. They mm, they brought yeah. up the sequel to it weirdly, in which they ruined it. Absolutely ruined it. It's like they they had a great color scheme and everything, and they were no, that's not enough. We must make it puce. It would make it an angry red uh, with a kind of a strong yellow, and it was like it was like a, oh, this is this looks this looks worse. The first one looked like it was from another generation of computers, mm, right? And mm. it gave and it was that thing of going, oh my god, how are they doing this? That's the most incredible thing. Yeah, this this looks this looks <laughs> photorealistic. It was not photorealistic. It was clearly. <laughs> Clearly, eight bit, but yeah. this looks unbelievable as a thing. And just just having him run around on the sandy corridors, just the smoothness of his stride, the end. Which actually now it's quite balletic uh, and maybe a little over mannered, <laughs> <laughs> as usual. The yeah, but but at the time it was so smooth, it was just mind blowing. You can just make him somersault around the corridors all the time, just to go. This this is so beautiful. Those those sort of huge graphical leaps they just don't happen so much anymore. For I imagine children now, you know, they, you still get games that look very pretty, but but back then it was such monumental changes, wasn't it? Between games, I subscribed to Zap sixty four, which was yeah. the British video game commerce for the iconic commerce for magazine. Not as common in, in some ways in a small group of people as Commodore user, because a guy I know once bought a porn mag back from England smuggled into the school inside the pages of a Commodore user magazine and then was followed around for the entire day by the rest of the class shouting, we all want to see your Commodore user. <laughs> Which was really quick. They wrote the song really fast and, and it scanned perfectly. <laughs> quick, we need a song. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like the terraces or something, like whatever, they very immediately... Worked out a number. We got to get a number to sum up our feelings about this. What do we want to do? Want to see his Commodore user? Okay, let's do this rhythm. Uh, and so, <laughs> so wrote a tune. We always see a Commodore user, which remains with me to this day. But anyway, Zap64 was, was the more legit, less, <clears throat> you know, porn enveloping uh, magazine that, that we read. Zap used to have, I mean, they, they, they'd have ratings and then, and, you know, and it's playability mm-hmm. or graphics yes. was one of them. And like it was things would either have amazing graphics or bad graphics in the way that, now would you you know it's now it feels more like cinematography more it feels like mm. no one's 
no one's he's like sitting in the cinema going oh the graphics of this are very close <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i wish film critics did do that that would be yeah. great if you had to do graphics sound graphics on titanic <laughs> to be honest actually do you know I, I i watched a bit of the last jurassic park recently and oh, bad graphics graphics are bad i mean that as a phrase that's so evocative to me i mean the movie's not bad but the, the graphics aren't great the, yeah uh, the, <laughs> There should be more of that, yeah. But yeah, but that kind of like, oh my God, the graphics are incredible. And you just buy a thing almost to see how good the graphics were. <laughs> uh, but that was an actual consideration. Of the, I mean, look, God of War Ragnarok is very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very, and you can see it's very, you know, renders gorgeously and, and very deep landscape and all that, like whatever. But it's not like you just, now sadly, I suppose you just presume it, which must be, which is unfortunately the person who is, who is designing the leaf asset? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going, it's just presumed that this is all going to be amazing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You were like clearly a, a smart student at school and you go on to study uh, maths, maths and physics at uni. It, was there any part of you that was interested in going into game development? No, I think it's only later I kind of went, oh, well, that'd be interesting. How would you put that with that? I, I think I had that thing of not knowing how these things were even created, that somebody made a decision about them, like whatever. That way that I am, what does the director do? My son, for example, my 11-year-old son is really into games, but all games, board games, card games, all yeah. that kind of stuff, like whatever. And I could see that he would very much like to construct and change rules and move things around. Be a game designer. Yeah. Like on the Commodore 64, I think I wrote an adventure game that was had two steps as, as, a, as a proof of concept. Do you remember what you had to do? Uh, oh, you had to pick up something and go left. I think I was essentially... <laughs> <laughs> Pick up key, go left. Use key. Okay, bango. I think <laughs> ta-da, you win. We go great. Even programming itself, I never went beyond. Dara is cool. Is uh, go to ten. Print Dara is cool. Go to ten. Which is kind of weird, I suppose, because I always love maths and physics and things like that. Like and solve mm. those kind of problems. And um, you know, there's a story that I referenced in the introduction. Was it really sort of this uh, light bulb moment where I believe you were in the middle of a debate or something and you got a laugh? Do you remember what exactly happened? U- university debating in Irish universities is a big kind of big deal and it's a big communal event. They get guests in and politicians and journalists come and speak in the universities. There'd be a Thursday night meeting and, 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 a, and a Friday night meeting in the big lecture halls and 600 people would pile in and they would have these public meetings and I remember sitting at the back of these it was it was the thing that was not in my it was that thing that felt most like this is university this defines university to me at the time following year 
did the freshers competition in second year, which is not a thing you know, you know, you're supposed to do the year before and I did in second year and then wrote a joke at the very start about they'd moved the law faculty to a different building and the law faculty was, we used to be in the, in the same building as arts. And so they were very involved in the center of the university. And then they got shifted out to this other building at the far end of the campus. And uh, they were all grumbling about that. And I opened with some line about, uh, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. And I'll see you all here. A special thanks to our friends of law who've traveled so far to be with <laughs> us today. And that got a massive laugh and a big round of applause. And it was like a spike going off an adrenaline spike in a, in a part of my brain that's never you know whoa what was that right that coming online then, yeah what was that um and i even remember the before i thought of that line was was the day before walking along and i remember walking on the concourse in the university and going oh travel so far oh yeah i could do that uh, and that moment that was the first gag i ever wrote and the uh and in context obviously Sounds really insanely small and specific now, but it got it got a huge surge, and I went, "Oh, that's, yeah, ooh, that's good. I, yeah, I might, yeah. I'll get more of that." And then it kind of all went from there. And now I need to do two hours of <laughs> because of like killer material, and it has to, it has to, everything has to land, and then it has to be fifteen twenty minutes of off the cuff stuff that I have to recap at the end for me to sit at the end and go, "Yeah, those are actually all right." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's. Uh, why don't we take a break and come to your your third game on your console? Can you tell us about it? Um, when I went to university, did no gaming at all, and there's five years I was in university. That's longer than normal, Dara. Yes, I ran a newspaper for a while. No, but even then, Dara, that seems longer than. Yeah, okay, right. I, I did my finals twice. Long story. Uh, so I had a circuitous route to university in which I shifted. I, the, the person who came out was very different. The person who came in was running newspapers and doing gigs and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it meant that I was in that. I was in a total bubble in the university I was in. And so among the things I absolutely miss are five seasons of the Premier League. Take that. Wow, that went past me completely. <laughs> other, and other musical things. Where I was just about Kirk Cobain just came in and rave, hit, hit him. But, like, but I was in total bubble of things and consoles. So people get very, very misty-eyed about the um, late 80s, early 90s kind of like SNES and all that stuff. Got didn't play any of those. After I left the university in 95, I got a job as a children's television presenter and I said, oh, we should have a thing about video games on this. And they were and they were like, huh? And I said, why don't I contact and see if we can get it? And I got a PlayStation 1 from Sony. Jeez, um, why I didn't just then, well, now I'm going to ring Nintendo. I'm going to ring all of them. and Because they they habitually do. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Here's the thing for, we're going to be on the telly and the kids. But yeah, of course, here. And here's the game. And then they would send me games. And we had this video game section, which is all about just Sony, because that's the only phone call I made. Uh, <laughs> and I would just do things about Sony. Got Tekken 2, um, which you could, we couldn't show the kids anyway, and an ISS Pro. ISS Pro such again I remember it the way I remember playing football as now as a 51 year old man I remember my playing football as being incredibly competent and smooth and striking your ball beautifully and these things happening and I, and I remember ISS Pro being there as well the uh, that's it's how I remember I used to dance magically and brilliantly and ISS Pro was like that it was just a smooth thing that 
the through ball. Oh, the through ball was the most beautiful mechanic ever because he played, you know, various soccer sims and they were clunking or you'd come in at a certain diagonal and that would go straight into net all the time and you'd learn to hack the hack the game in certain ways. And then this thing, you'd you'd move side to the left and knock a through ball and then you'd run onto the ball. It was like, what the hell is it? You were Redondo, who was obviously Ronaldo, <laughs> but it was Redondo. And Redondo would stride through and, and knock it through. And then the then you'd get the replay and you'd spin the camera around and watch the replay again of it going in. Yeah. And it was just beautiful. It's difficult. I younger sort of listeners probably, you know, won't realise this, but at that time Konami's, so this is the Japanese Konami, Konami that also makes Metal Gear Solid, their ISS Pro series or Pro Evolution as it became was really the dominant. That was the one, if you cared about football games, it was way better than FIFA. But of course, that's very different today. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, it's weird. And it's interesting it's to, to, to track the point where uh, FIFA took over. But the uh, but it, at the time, FIFA was very much regarded, the A games FIFA was very much regarded as full kit wanker. Uh, as <laughs> just ha- had bought the jersey uh, and strode around. Look, go look at me! I've got a- I've got all the stuff. I've got the socks and the shirt, like whatever. It was the rich kid whose dad bought them all the stuff, but were rubbish at the game. Couldn't play the game at all. Yeah, because it had all the licenses, all the real names. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and all that. So, so it had the proper names. So you could actually be Ronaldo, but the actual game was 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 terrible by comparison. But also. In FIFA, there was the commentary was better, and it was actual <clears throat> commentators. Whereas, like it was like the, all the commentary in in Pro Evolution was translated directly from Japanese. I run through Google Translate <laughs> and then read out. There was one I remember. The game would start, and the game would start. They would go, "The sun is up, and the wind is shooting through the stadium." Yeah, it's a blast on the path. And it was like, there's none of that makes it. <laughs> Why would you go? Well, the sun is up. <laughs> like, let alone that the wind is shooting the You never go, what a day we have. You wouldn't expect the sun to be up today, but it's up. And the wind, just a bizarre. Why was that afraid? There was always the mythic thing that you could unlock two girls commentating on it. Do you remember that? Was that it? Two disinterested women talking about the match. <laughs> And if that's if that's if that's never been done, I mean, obviously, this is this spoke of a time where it was like entirely a male enclave and all that. But the idea was somewhere locked into this software, they'd record an entire suite of just two women. I don't know what's what's happening now. Is the sun up? Yeah, it's, oh, well, I know, but the wind is shooting to the stadium. <laughs> the, yeah, so, so it was. Yeah, it was. It, it, so that was. But it was. It was. It was a beautiful game to play. It was absolutely gorgeous because sometimes you just you could split the defense and then you're through. Oh, it was lovely. Yeah, amazing. Lovely. Yeah. So, so you were recently on on Taskmaster, and one of the one of the challenges for that was to bring in the thing that you would most like to have with you on a car journey. And you brought in a suitcase containing a video game console. Is that you know when you're off touring, do you actually do you actually do that? I have, yeah. That was bought for me by um, a comedian friend of mine, Ed Byrne, for my fortieth birthday. Oh, it's uh, actually yours. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's very, it's very definitely mine. And I brought it home. I don't know if I won the episode, but I certainly wasn't letting anyone have it. It's a hard shell, like like a sound engineer's kind of thing that you'd see on occasionally on on a, on a baggage reclaim. But within it, there's a twenty-inch LCD screen. Kind of, you need to you need a power source. So on a train journey, you can plug it in and play it, which gets some looks. It's amazing. There are newer versions of them because that was like it's like eleven years old now. The, uh, but it still works, and so I I play at halftime in the in the dressing room. Would you Would you play when you when you fire it up? Yeah, we'd be in football. It would have been it would have been FIFA. It would have been something like that you could you can play. But I I don't think it's a 
in the, if, in the when you're grabbing moments of things, you you wouldn't go for um, ten minutes before the gig is the time to start Bloodborne uh, mm. or something. The, my I've gone to I was was looking at the shelves um, uh, that I had there for the last. It just is just going. I'm going. I'm missing anything talking here about games, and I think I have there's a run of Fifas that I have after we after shifted to Fifa. There's uh, there's a period where I had all of the Fifas. And I'm going, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. But even now, I think I've, I've got 23 and 21. And you'd think I'd be very good at it. But actually, I, ret- I remain semi-pro and my 11-year-old has just gone professional. Right. And I'm, I'm very much in that moment. You're catching me exactly the moment where I can't quite beat him. And it's driving me up the wall. And I was, I was comfortably holding, holding him at arm's length for a while. And then I would, I would have to play... He played Real Madrid and I played Bray Wanderers, which is the local League of Ireland team from the town I'm from. And they were on the machine for a while. Oh, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we would play and I would have that handicap and I'd still beat him. And now... You're playing as Brazil now. I'm playing as that Legends team that's buried uh, somewhere. I love that team. And then I play as that and he has to be Sligo Rovers. I feel, you know... The autumn of my years approaching as he slowly says. <laughs> At some point you'll go, I hear that. Here, you have a you you have a go. I see, I see that happening. FIFA's causing you some existential dread at the moment. Yeah. Oh no, it is. It is it is all of the things. I mean, it, I don't know what the what the normal one, you know, is it a, is it an arm wrestle? Is it a sprint? What is it that you know I used to be able to do this with my son, but then my now my son. Oh, so it's I, I'm handing the baton over, and my baton is FIFA. You mentioned your your friend Ed Byrne, a fellow comedian. You, I've read in the past that you used to play online games with him. Sometimes, do you do you still do that? Do you still play online, or are you more of a solitary? Okay, it's difficult to coordinate these things as a comedian because your hours are kind of weird. Um, the uh, we played a lot of Halo, the first Halo. There was an arena that had this looping thing that went over the top of it in a valley, but it had this and there's it had this kind of weird circular thing like like the like the arch at um Wembley in the middle of in the middle of it. And we, we played a lot on that. Guy his brother, God love his passed away, Paul Byrne died last year. But yeah, he said uh, the thing we found amazing was when the person you're playing with voice would come out of the television. Uh, and we were like and Ed said that was amazing and, and his brother said, Yeah, I'm fucking sick of Darby's voice coming out of my television. Uh, which was quite a quite a deaf joke uh, by Paul. But the uh, I mean look there were we're older men with responsibilities. Yeah, of course. You know, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, turn to your fourth game. Can you tell us about it? Was Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum was uh, Xbox 360 and the first of a, of a run of just exceptional Batman games that probably, for whatever reason, I think I was just triggered a period in my life where I suddenly began to finish some games. The uh, I'd finish long games, one or two a year, and it was the first because it got me and was doable. There were no things I love about it. A, the environment changed. Yeah. Uh, you were in, there were like three or four central buildings, but they would change because Poison Ivy would come in at some point and then and 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 would spread and suddenly bits that were closed were open and bits that were open were closed I had that blows my mind I think it's fantastic when they do that it's equally when they incorporate 
you, uh, some scarecrow would give you some sort of drug thing, and then suddenly it would the whole landscape would change just because you were in a hallucination. Corridors would spin away from you, like whatever. Those kind of animation trick combined with an interactive medium, I think, are fantastic. Um, and you're kind of going, okay, this is the thing that nothing else, nothing else can do this. Nothing else can create the universe and then change and warp the universe in front of you while you're doing that. I think that stuff is very, very well, that's done well. When the when the waters rise in God of War and suddenly there's a whole series of stuff that wasn't yeah, accessible, yeah. suddenly accessible, that kind of stuff. Like that. And so I, I and, and uh, Arkham Sam does extremely well. But also the basic mechanic of fighting was really straightforward and, the, and it did all the thinking for you. Oh, would you like me to punch somebody? Okay, I'll punch somebody. Oh, would you like me to kick somebody? Fine, I'll kick somebody. Now I'll block. But it wasn't like it was a Street Fighter, was it? It was Street Fighter. It wasn't. It wasn't. You die. You can happily button mash and get and get through it. And also the stealth element. Jesus, there's so much that's great about that. The I have you know. So he's made a good point about the Last of Us television thing going out. If there isn't an episode of the Last of Us where the where Joel just sits under a table for forty five minutes while the clicker walks in a, in a set pattern, then that is not a, an accurate recognition. Like the because that's all I did. I stealth. I, I love it and it freaks me out uh, stealth stuff like with the SS gun I just get oh and the stealth parts of that particularly I would go ah quickly quick quick bang it yeah. spins 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 I just thought I thought it was a beautifully mm. balanced game and and like I, it was also the first time I think I ever went fine let's collect all 400 or whatever it is of these Riddler trophies. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And I think, yeah. I think actually irritating that when I played it properly, I got 399 of them. But I got one they didn't get, which was on a faraway ridge. You had to go under a little waterfall and it was, there was a, one chance to get it. And if you didn't get it then. I, I think the, the, it was the fact that it was, the world wasn't too massive. So, you, so sometimes on these, you know, and, and even on the later Batman games, you get these massive cities and you're like, well, there's no way I can collect all of those bits. But if it's sort of narrow but deep, you can... It feels more manageable, perhaps. Absolutely, and I think I think there was there was something about them. The fact that you it, it, it trembled because you it, every time something has happened, there was an earthquake or something like it would be slightly different again, but recognizable. And I think that was just it was it was lovely. So it was it was linear, but it felt loose. That magic of how you keep challenges ticking over so that you've got stuff going on, but also there's a general general narrative drive. It's always very interesting. I do remember making one um, um, the one where there's lots of you had to collect everything on the top of all these skyscrapers. Uh, crackdown, crackdown, yeah. And I met one of the developers in the airport once, and we're chatting about something. He said, uh, "He says, look, we we put them in to see how far people actually get. You know, they uh, that's how they that's how that started. So because we obviously get a we get a ping saying we this person collected this this this, and we see how many stuff, how much of actually gets. And I didn't realize the level to which it is a massive experiment in." How far do people actually, or what corners do they visit or not visit, and all that? You, uh, we, we, you've mentioned briefly um, your your show Go Eight Bit, uh, one of the few video game related TV shows other than Games Master. What, why do you think that has not continued, or is it going to continue? No, no, it's gone, it's gone, gone. The reason uh, it started um, same time as Taskmaster, interestingly, interestingly, and for the first series was the hit, and Taskmaster wasn't, and. We were gung ho to do another two. It was it started as comedians around a couch talking shit at each other, and then weirdly we did it in a studio in London called Fountain Studios that then shut down, and we had to move out to L Street, and they could not get an audience in, and so we found ourselves with forty people in sometimes, uh, rather than three hundred, and then they also there are, there are kind of issues about who they booked in. They stopped being comedians. They wanted to get more gel like like, uh, and some of it made sense. Like Greg Wallace was in. And Great Wallace has uh, an obsession with them, 
certain types of video games or Jody Kid, Jody Kid, who designs, you know, has designed games computers as a big mass gamer. That's all grand, but like sometimes it went too far into celebs rather than comedians. And so you lost something essential about it. The intimacy of it being loads of mates trash talking each other in front of 300 people mm-hmm. kind of got lost and the numbers tailed away. Um, and even we felt as we were making it, all the energy is draining out of this now because we're doing it in front of 60 people. And there was a, uh, there was one episode where there was an old woman sitting in the audience watching it. And I came out at the end of the show and I said, look, that's great. I hope you enjoyed it. Look, we're, what we're going to do now is stay in your seat. We've got to do a couple of little, what we call pickups at the end of the show, you know, the things that we got to do for editing. So we just bear with us while we do that. And the old woman just got up and went, I turned around and walked up the stairs and out of the room. <laughs> and I watched you do it. And it was both heartbreaking and hilarious. I couldn't, it was just so, yeah, I'm not doing that. It was really weird how it, how the ball was dropped in it. I don't know. But it was like, it was a lovely thing that had they just stayed in the same room with the same thing, we could have done that indefinitely. And then it got blown away. I, I thought it was infinitely renewable and we had lovely moments of, you know, uh, David James, the England goalkeeper, being beaten by Susan Kalman in an episode and him being furious in a, in a happy way, but really competitive way. <laughs> like when everything got beaten and we're going, we, we got to we, we get these two back together. And they never did. There's like things like, that was an obvious thing. Get those two back in for another show. And it was like, things that, that would happen like whenever the uh, people were being beaten in the last second of of uh, races that we'd go we'd slow down. Let's see that in slow motion where we're thinking through or, or you know, someone would um get lost and would drive the wrong way up the track in in rage race or whatever, like and and we'd see them going past on the other person's screen. Like just a lovely we and we could stop and show the highlights of it. Like there were some lovely things to it. And but they just put it they was in the wrong studio at the wrong time. It was on a Monday night in, in out in out in L Street, which is in Boreham Wood. It's tough to get in to drive to come out there. Rather than Middletown where we got three hundred gaming fans in and they blew it and it was really really irritating because it was, it was it was a lovely thing yeah it's a shame yeah frustrating. Like, um, like many people who, who sort of care about games or video games or board games I, I sort of love Taskmaster which you were recently in of course and won your series as well thank you um, yes, yes I mean I've got a slight pet theory that Taskmaster's having a reshaping effect on I guess like audience expectations of comedians on TV because you're shown in situations that we've not really seen comedians before in like these moments of intimacy and vulnerability and you get to see your true reactions yes. as you've been competitive all of that and are you in particular we're in a slightly unique position because you were on that show when your very long run on Mock the Week ended or around the same time um, you know which was a more traditional comedy format do you think that a shift in audience expectations or tastes influenced that decision to to end Mock the Week I don't know if it did I think think it got shifted because BBC has less money uh, and it wants to take the money it has and move it into different forms of entertainment uh, which is bad news for comedy so I think they basically went okay we've got five five panel shows or four panel shows um, and we're going to get rid of one of them and so they just we, we were the one that went so I don't think it's I don't think it's anything I, I, equally I don't believe it, there was some shady uh, conspiracy political conspiracy to get us because oh. we were too yeah left leaning or whatever um, well certainly in terms of like the the variety of faces uh, on on show and 
the, the, the change in representation of different of, of different communities within the comedy world. You can definitely trace that to Mock the Week. Um, and I'm not saying we led that, uh, but it's just the imagination. But the uh, but you reflected it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you see, you see that, but you'd also see a, just a change, the change in tone because comedy when we started Mock the Week was quite club based and maybe a little more brutal, a little bit more confrontational. Um, and one-liner bass and here's a sharp take on this and bang, bang, bang. And then it moved to a much more collaborative, um, comedy generally moved to a much more collaborative, I'd say podcast sort of model of people being on each other's shows and and, and being more used to listening and reacting and and building, building funny together type things. Mm, right. Took over from, I got my bit and I've elbowed my way into having my bit and here's my bit. Uh, Taskmaster is in that situation where you put people in different situations and... Yeah, you hope they you see something of them, um, uh, rather than their persona the uh, that they've created. Certainly, you don't want to do Taskmaster unless you're happy to be to look ridiculous at some stage. And I, I am also very aware that I portray a certain high status. I'm hosting shows, I'm handing up points, I'm saying yes or no to things. In, on stage, I'm in a suit. I'm like I mean, but most of my stories on stage, for example, are times I have fucked things up or gone things have gone wrong or whatever or because because I want to undercut that constantly but I'm aware that I am you know a 50 year old man in a suit standing in front of you telling you things so I'm already in a certain <laughs> situation like whenever I'm a six, six foot four large man telling you stuff and you're sitting down and listening to it like that so you, you you have an authority that you can that then you can undercut so it is funny for me to do a moment, for example, in like Taskmaster, where I went, I, I screwed up the thing entirely. I just stood there going, wait, what? What? Wait, what? Wait. Because I also know that God loves, I'll want to win. <laughs> not very good. So, yeah. Like I should always avoid going on um, House of Games or something. Right. Because I'll be like hammering the thing going. Uh, I know the answer. Because uh, I, I can't stop myself doing that. Well, um, okay, we should come to your fifth and final game. Can you tell us about it, please? Yeah, the fifth final game. And again, it's representation of a, of a whole bank of games. Because let's face it, I could have done tons of these. And I, I was I was sensitive to the fact that, you know, somebody else will want to do Portal or somebody else will want to do, you know, uh, Half-Life or uh, Legendary GTA or whatever, these uh, iconic games. I will say that the single greatest moment in gaming is still alive. Uh, at the end of Portal, where that song comes on, that is the greatest piece of writing, storytelling in in any. I, I think in any like that would that absolutely blew my mind when Gladys started singing. You know, it was a good moment. Oh, the fantastic thing! And I listened to it recently. It still stands up. We've got I've got um, Eric uh, who wrote that coming on the podcast soon. So yeah. Whoa! <laughs> listen, I pass some props to that because that was just astonishing. It was just and, and then you went, oh, this medium, oh, this is really things are happening here. This. is they could do all sorts of things like whatever and it was just fabulous as a thing but uh, Garagoa is the one I've chosen Garagoa is a um, it's on a, it's on an iPad, um, so it's uh, casual. I'm sure it's on other mediums as well. And it is a puzzle game 
whereby again, you're presented with an image, but you can take portions of the image out and move it around to tell a story, which is never really fully to sort of an impending apocalypse and the monster attacking the small bice change but you jump to time scales because you rearrange for you move it you see a picture with a photo frame in it and actually the frame will come but the picture will stay and then you end up using the frame to frame something else and from that an image comes out so it's incredibly creative in how it goes from step 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 and the puzzles and how they work because your character can only move if you rearrange the landscape around them by moving these very elegantly designed puzzle pieces around. So it's a beautiful game. And I played, I've got, I played two of it a couple of times. Uh, and it's always a very pleasant, you know, just experience to go through it all. But it also represents for me to times when I'm not really in the mood to, to sort of launch into a 40-hour game. What's the five-hour game or the 10-hour game? Or what's the, you know, it's one of those things that, that gaming does. I, it almost feels it was, it was ahead of um, sc- streaming and the TV production list, like whatever I'm going okay, you want different experiences of different value, of different length, we will do that and we'll put them at different price points and then you can know what you're getting at. But because there are ideas mm-hmm. that that are, they're, they're good for six hours. They're not good for 40 hours. And so let's make the six hour thing. And then we'll sell that to you for $5.99 rather than for $45.99. I, those things I love. Those things are after, I, I can do them. I travel a lot, I do them, I can do a short thing whether it's you know, The Room or Gorgoa or or do something like Journey or Edith Finch. Wonderful game, yeah. Great game. And those kind of things, they're just a thing that this medium can do and no other medium can do. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to be transported for that just for a while and just to go, right, well, this is what we get out of this. We don't have to create. Um, not everything has to be a blockbuster. And there's maybe something in for television, you know, because it's at some point in, in reviews of certain series that have come out recently going, this is not an eight-hour idea. This is not a story that will last for 10 one-hour episodes. You know, this is, you know, maybe movies were two hours long. That's that, Maybe that's okay. <laughs> they were onto something. Yeah, they, they had a good idea. I mean, I think it's quite striking that the uh, the Oscars list this year is the most accessible of all the Oscars lists for a while because it feels like people have seen, actually seen movies because there may be a reaction to, oh, God, do I have to commit to 10 hours and then maybe there won't be an ending or maybe... Netflix will cancel this thing before it gets to the end. I won't find out with this character. Jesus, just give us something to watch for, you know, that I know will come to a conclusion, like whatever. And it may be in a thicker way we're, we're sliding back over to... Yeah, that's so true. I mean, things like poor old 1899, you know what I mean? The uh, Where I was about to watch it, that Ed had watched it, and he said, oh, I'll just tell you the ending because it's, it's not being renewed. So just skip to the ending. Oh, that's tragic. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, like, and I mean, you, you, you don't get to the stage where people are making like a one series or something and then it doesn't get the numbers and the one day it gets released on Netflix and then they have to send an email out going uh, okay look that's not happening again so uh, Mary and John got married <laughs> and Bob died uh, and they just sent an email with this is how all these characters this is what we would have with all these characters just a short bulletin of like oh remember those characters you love yeah they they all died in an, in an asteroid attack a gaming has that ability to be just okay we'll slide into a gap yeah yeah this is you've got a bit of time to do this here's a beautiful thing gargo was it was a wonderful example of that like the uh, it was one of those things that uh i i when the bafta nominations come out things like that would i would i'd miss them the uh and then the ba- bafta would come along and uh, another other award ceremonies are also available the uh and they would send me all the games in the two weeks before I host them. I hosted ten times, nine times, uh, and they would. There was this period um, two weeks before the games where they would send me all the games, and sometimes you go, 
Oh God, where are we now in Assassin's Creed? <laughs> How much is the fucking country? Oh jeez, I've got yeah. all of Greece. They're all of Rome to do, <laughs> and then there was there'd just be download links for something like Argo. You go, oh, perfect, lovely. That's absolutely delightful. Yeah, it's great. You get some sense of it. Like, yeah, I remember being once being in a in a hotel in Chester, and I had three nights of, of, of a gig in Chester. Of a gig in Chester, so I went down to Eddie, brought two machines down, um, and. Uh, plunk them and plug them all in like whatever and there's a nest of USB cables all over the place and I would do the show walk back and I would play I had to play 20 different games for a while to get a sense of so I could write a monologue about them uh, and it was weird it was like you know <laughs> it was like Sid and Nancy you know what I mean I'm in my, in my dingy hotel room in the, in the Chelsea hotel like whatever I'm in a quite nice hotel in Chester playing tons of video games for like 12 hours a day yeah Guzzling Mountain Dew or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bro, well, uh, thank you so much for your pick, Star. So we've got Packland, Impossible Mission, ISS Pro, Arkham Asylum, and Gorogoa. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot slightly and ask you if you can give a name to your console that we can market it market it as. Oh, shit. Sure. Oh, um, uh, God. You need to go Death Box 9000, <laughs> which... <laughs> Uh, but but have none of the games are like Call of Duty type stuff. It's all it's all gentle puzzlers. All, it's all gentle puzzlers and sweet Nintendo games and Animal Crossing. Uh, <laughs> it comes with Animal Crossing preloaded. Uh, the Death Box Nine Thousand. It's an unlock code like the Packlands uh, bonus. You can yeah 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 or or, or probably more like the, like the YouTube album they stuck on the iPhone at the time that we got really angry about like. <laughs> Well, you've been so um, generous with your time. Thank you. I just want to ask you one last thing before I let you go. So uh, I think my sort of um, my uh, uh, platonic ideal listener is sort of slightly nerdy, quite bright and also witty, perhaps someone a bit like yourself, Tara. What what advice would you give a young listener who maybe wants to follow a similar path to the one you've taken? Oh, um, yeah, in terms of comedy, um, try it. It's the only way to do it. You have to be, you have to stand in front of people and, and give it a go. D- don't worry, yeah, you'll die. We all die. Yeah, everyone dies as a start, but you don't know until you've actually been there because it's quite straightforward comedy. If you want to be in front of an audience, go and try and be in front of an audience. It does help if you're in certain population centres and all that, but there's a lot of stuff spoken about privilege and what school you went to and all that that isn't really in stand-up comedy as much as, as it may have been in the, in 1970s sketch comedy but it's not a they just go to an open mic club and sign up and and try it and then try it and 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 get as many minutes of stage time uh, as you can that's absolutely the most important they find your voice any chance you get just get in front of an audience that's the, that's the single most important thing I mean and then go off and use that an experiment and write, write more stuff the yeah, uh, I mean the, the the arc of it is difficult to judge, but if you but if you're just starting off, it's you got just get the addiction first. Just get, you know, once you have the addiction, then you're done. We have you, um, and you and, and and you're in the gang once you once you've done that. Like the yeah, uh, so it's a yeah, uh, it's the case of, of of getting as much stage time under your belt as possible, just to to get a sense of, of who you are there. And we've all done things. There's periods of time where. You know, you live in a house in London, you drive to Nottingham, you do 15 minutes on stage, you get back in the car, you drive down again, and you do the same to Southampton the following day. It can be a fun way to spend your, your 20s, but it also can be heartbreaking. <laughs> so I have a bad throat because the last gig I did was in Svalbard in northern Norway. Oh, right. Uh, which is a very dry place and very bad in your throat, the, uh, among many other weird things. 
about Svalbard, but it was a but we did a gig. So there's gigs popping up everywhere. Lads. If there's a gig in Svalbard, <laughs> there'll probably be a gig near you. Dara, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your picks as well. It's been really wonderful to to hear your perspective on games and everything. I super enjoyed it. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Darrow Breen, everyone. Wasn't that so good to hear his uh, his picks, his memories of playing games? Dara is, the week that this comes out, Dara is on tour in Norway. If you're in Oslo or Helsinki or Bergen, you can go and see him. And then he's back in the UK playing at Canterbury and Salford Keys later in February. Dara is pretty much everywhere so you i'm sure uh, will be able to find his material easily enough certainly go on youtube and search up the video game routine that we were talking about right at the start of the episode it's really a wonderful bit that uh, like he says it's sort of become a signature part of uh, his body of work so definitely go and and watch and listen to that thank you for listening this far into the podcast uh, i appreciate it and thank you if you have subscribed if you have left a rating or left a review these things definitely help in these early days of the podcast um, so yeah if you have a spare moment and you haven't done those things then uh, I'd encourage you just to quickly go and do that. It will help help me out, help the podcast out, and uh, so that we can uh, keep doing this. You can write to me at myperfectconsole at gmail.com. Thank you to those of you who have done so already with your thoughts and feedback, with your suggestions for future guests. That's been really useful and helpful to have. I've got a big master document of people that have agreed to come on and people that we'd like to ask to come on. So uh, we'll be working through that throughout this year and hopefully the years to come. You can find me at Simon Parkin on Twitter.com if you are still involved in that place. And you can also find the console at my perfect console with the O's removed. We'll be back next week with another fantastic guest with their five game choices and one more perfect console. Until then, have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.